But I want to preach tonight on the second coming of Jesus Christ. But I want to preach out of Second Peter chapter number 3. And uh, we'll begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read down to the end of this chapter. And I want you to read carefully with me. The Bible says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that the, by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, I want you to notice this, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away from the error of the, with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that You glorify Your Son tonight, that You'd speak to each heart in a particular way and in a way that would exalt the Savior in our hearts and lives. I pray that You'd meet each need that we've given before You in our hearts, and Lord, and in our prayers today. And I pray, God, that You would uh, just continue to work in a mighty way. If there's any amongst us that are lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. And Lord, I pray that You'd meet the heart's needs of each and every saint that are here. And Lord, that You'd encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that You'd convict us where we need convicting, but that in all things, Lord, we'd be found under Your praise and honor and glory. Thank You for loving us, Lord. Teach us to love You more. We ask all this in Christ's name. 
Amen. I'm interested in a phrase that's used in verse number 11. It's used again in verse number 14, and it's used once more later on in verse number 17. Notice them again with me. In verse 11 it says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Verse number 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. And look down at verse 17 where it says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. And I want to preach to you about this idea of seeing the second coming. Do you know that uh, this passage before us, I, I recognize very readily that the context of what Peter is dealing with is not the rapture that is to come, but is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I recognize that. I mean, I'm, I'm a premillennialist. I had somebody ask me this morning, uh, they said, uh, or they said to me, and asked me, they said, uh, I said, how'd you find our church? They said, well, we was looking on the internet. And I said, well, you can find all kinds of crazy people on the Internet. And they said, well, we were looking for a premillennial Baptist church in Knoxville. And I said, well, you've walked in the right place. We're so premillennial, we won't go to the post office. Amen? And uh, I am a premillennialist. I believe premillennialism, not because I had a daddy or a granddaddy, not because I had a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, but because the Word of God teaches the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. It's clear and evident in Scripture, and someone has to learn how to be anything other than a premillennialist. If you just read the Bible uh, very plainly, very simply, you can turn, we won't do it right now, but you could turn to the book of Revelation, and you could turn over there to chapter uh, 19 and 20, and you would see very evidently that Christ is going to uh, reign upon this earth for a thousand years. And you can try to make it something different if you wish to, But it doesn't change that plain, simple truth of the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. In being a premillennialist, I'm also a biblical literalist. You say, well, what does that mean? That means I interpret the Bible literally. Uh, The old uh, theological rule, or I I don't know if it's hermeneutical or homiletical or, uh, you know, what it is, but uh, there's an old rule of Bible interpretation that when plain sense uh, makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. And as you study the Word of God, it's abundantly evident. You can read it very clearly and plainly, and you'll find that there are two uh, parts to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says uh, in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, whenever the Lord had ascended upon uh, high and had left this earth, that uh, the men stood there, and they did probably what we do. They stood there and went, and watch. And uh, the angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus shall, uh, that ye have seen uh, ascend, shall in like manner come again. I believe He is coming again in like manner. I believe He's coming in the way that He left. But I also turn over to Revelation chapter number 19, and I see that He's also coming back on a white horse. I had a fellow ask me one time, he said, uh, and I guess he thought he was going to trip me up, and he didn't understand just how twisted my mind is already. And he asked me, he said, do you take the book of Revelation literally, uh, or do you take it figuratively? And I said, well, there's places where figurative language is used, but I basically take it literally. And he said, well, if you take it literally, then is Jesus going to come in the clouds, or is he going to come on a white horse? And he, I mean, he really looked proud when he asked me that. And I didn't know how to answer except how to answer. And I said, I believe he's going to do both. I'm pretty sure he swallowed his gum when I said that. He didn't know what to say to this idea that Jesus is coming back both in the clouds and upon a white horse. And the Bible teaches that he is. 
He's coming back for His bride, for His church in the clouds. And that's why to those men standing there gazing, they said, He's going to come back in like manner. And when He returns, I believe He's going to return the same way that He left. I believe when He comes for us, He will be the Lord of glory. He will have a glorified body. But I believe He's coming as that meek shepherd. I believe He's coming as our Savior, as the One that loved us and paid for us and bought us and redeemed us. But the Bible says in Revelation 19 that there's a whole different rider that's coming. And when He comes then, He's not coming as the meek shepherd of Galilee, but He's coming as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, with a sharp two-edged sword proceeding out of His mouth, and His vesture dipped in blood. He's coming back to exact vengeance upon the ungodliness of this world. So I see that the second coming of Christ has two facets to it. And we're not going to have a whole eschatological uh, discussion here, but uh, suffice it to say that the Bible teaches that the Lord will return. His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. I believe that. I believe He could come back in the rapture to rapture His church out at any moment. I believe it could happen tonight. I believe it could happen before this sermon is done. And uh, along about three quarters of the way through it, you'll probably be thinking He will be coming back before I'm done. Amen? I believe He could return at any moment. I believe it's imminent. But let me say too that I also believe it's important. I believe the chief difference, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. I believe the chief difference between the uh, apostles in the day of Christ and the average church member today is that we lack an effectual comprehension of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. We have a head knowledge of it, but we don't really have a heart knowledge of it because the truth of the matter is you and I would live a lot differently if we believe He'd come back at any moment. It'd change the way that we live. And I, I want to preach to you on that thought tonight. Uh, though Peter is dealing with the uh, revelation of Jesus Christ, understand that as he is speaking to believers, in a practical sense, both of these events, uh, both the rapture of the church and the revelation of Jesus Christ, can in some ways be dealt with in the same vein. You say, well, why is that, preacher? Because these two events in Scripture are detailed to us as being separated by a period of seven years. This is what we call the Great Tribulation period. And uh, this is the time in which the mark of the beast will uh, be prevalent. This is the time in which uh, the persecution against the Jews will be so fierce and so vast. But for the believer, we're going to be in heaven with Christ. And the things of the Great Tribulation period will not have any impact upon us personally. And so, really, the next event on God's prophetic calendar that concerns you and me is the rapture. But to us, the rapture and the revelation are going to be just right back to back. And so, as Peter speaks of these things, I believe that we need to understand that what applies to the rapture as far as the effect that it has upon our lives should also apply to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And by the same token, the effect that the revelation of Jesus Christ can have on us would be the same as the effect the rapture could have on us because to us, those two things are back to back and we'll already be raptured out of here. And so Peter uses this terminology when he says seeing these things. Now, when we speak of seeing something, there's a few things that, that's uh, denoted by that. And one of them, of course, uh, is the visibility of it. We see it, we recognize it. And uh, if you were to say, I saw something, initially what most people would think would be if you took your eyes and you looked at it and you saw it, you recognized that it was there. And you know, I believe as uh, believers that one of the key things in our walk with Christ, you know, the, the Bible never says, the Bible never says that we have to believe in the return of Jesus Christ to be saved. Am I right? It's okay, you can get quiet. Am I right? I mean, it never says that once. Truth be told, I don't know that I've ever even had that 
Uh, question posed to me, does a person have to believe in the return of Jesus Christ to be saved? But it never once says that. But understand that while you may not have to believe in the return of Jesus Christ to be saved, to live like a Christian, you're going to have to believe in the return of Jesus Christ. We have to acknowledge it. We have to recognize it. And uh, do you realize as you read through your New Testament that uh, we talk about all the important doctrines in the Word of God. And we could talk about uh, doctrines like the blood and doctrines like the Holy Spirit and doctrines like salvation by grace. You would be amazed sometimes how few times those things are presented in the New Testament. Do you understand? This is the, this is the percentage of it. One out of every 20 verses in the New Testament directly refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's how vital, that's how important the second coming is. I've heard people say sometimes, well, you ought not preach on the second coming because it divides people. Yeah, it does. It divides right people from wrong people about the second coming. That's what it does. Uh, You could say that about anything that you preach upon. Uh, You could say you shouldn't preach on salvation by grace because that's going to divide people. And it sure does divide people. But I would propose to you that if salvation by grace is worth preaching on, and I believe it is tonight, I also believe that the second coming of Jesus Christ is worth preaching on. Uh, If God makes makes such a big deal about it, I believe you and I ought to make such a big deal about it. So we see that it has the idea of seeing, as in uh, recognizing, but also I think this word seeing has the idea of comprehending. Uh, Comprehending, in other words, understanding it. Most people that are afraid of the second coming of Jesus Christ have never studied the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when I say afraid of it, I mean afraid of the doctrine of it. Most people that are afraid of this idea of premillennialism, they've never cracked their Bible and read it and learned anything about it. They just assume that, uh, you know, uh, premillennialists are divisive and they assume that we are cantankerous and contentious and obnoxious. I try to tell them, that's just me. That's not everybody. That's just me that's that way. Amen. But, uh, you know, uh, the comprehending of it, the idea of understanding it. And I believe that's what seeing denotes. But I believe there's a third thing when we speak about seeing something. We speak about someone seeing our vision or seeing the value in something. And sometimes that word seeing can denote the idea of appreciating something. Of not only comprehending it, not only understanding it, but of appreciating the value and the importance of it. And this is where I believe so many of us fall short. We know that, there's, uh, that the second coming of Jesus Christ is real. We believe it in a sense. We comprehend it in the sense that we study about it, we learn about it. We, uh, some of us have a working knowledge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But very many of us are guilty of just flat out not living our lives in light of this truth. Not allowing us to be changed by the truth of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know what Paul said? Paul spoke of the second coming. He said, we wait for the appearing of His dear Son. Peter spoke of it in all these passages. And he spoke of the fact that they were waiting. They were looking. They were expecting. I believe when we get to the place that the second coming of Jesus Christ is so real to us. That we'd live every moment of our life as though it could be our last I believe that's when we become a different kind of Christian. I want us to notice a few things tonight. Uh, I don't know if I've lost you or not got you yet, but either way, here we are. I want you to notice in verse number 11, the Bible says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Now notice this, the Bible says, In all holy conversation and godliness. I would say in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ, you and I need to be consecrated. 
We need to be a different kind of people. The Bible says holy conversation and godliness. One thing's for sure about it. How many of y'all were kids once? Okay, a couple. You ever have one of them moments where your parents had left you at home and told you to mind and to obey? As soon as they walked out the door, you got into any and everything that you possibly could. Did you ever have moments like that? I still have moments like that. I got a key to mom and dad's house, and I still wait for them to not be there, and I go through things. You remember the terror that struck in your heart and mind when you heard the garage door open? <laughs> and you realized you hadn't put back half of what you'd torn out? You see, the truth of the matter is, if you really believed they'd come back at any moment, you would probably cleaned up a lot quicker. And I would say that if you and I believe that Jesus Christ come back at any moment, we'd probably clean up a lot quicker than we do. We probably wouldn't allow half the foolishness in our life that we allow in our life if we thought that Jesus could come back at any moment and would find us in that situation. Most people that live carnally and worldly, it's because they don't really believe He... I would say that most Christians, most Christians would admit to this truth, that they do not want to be a reproach and a shame to the name of Christ. And yet most Christians, I believe, live to be a shame and a reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. Well, why? Because they don't really believe He sees it. They don't really believe he, he comprehends it. They don't really believe that He's aware of it. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that Christ is aware even now, seated at the right hand of the Father, what you and I are doing. And I'm here to tell you that He could return at absolutely any moment. Let me ask you something. When you're in the middle of committing that sin, what if that was the last thing you ever did in your life? You know, we sin because we always believe we have tomorrow to ask forgiveness for it. And don't misunderstand me. I, you know, I believe in the security, eternal security of the believer. I'm not saying that we have to be all uh, confessed up and all straightened up when Jesus comes back or we're not going to go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying tonight. But I'm really saying most of us sin because we always believe we're going to have time later to ask forgiveness for it. But the fact of the matter is, you may not have time later to ask forgiveness for it. That may be the shape that Jesus Christ finds you in. I mean, what a shame would it be? Uh, listen, do you know sometimes I get in the flesh? I know that's hard to believe. But there's times when I get in the flesh. There's times when I get angry. Part of pastoring, the, the, the key, listen, if you're praying about if, whether God would use you to pastor, the best thing you can ask yourself is under the worst situations, can I refrain myself from throttling someone? If you can do that, you may be called to pastor. Amen? Is anybody awake out there? Is this thing on, Ralph? I don't know. <laughs> Ralph's with me. I love Brother Ralph. I'll come preach at him. I get in the flesh at times, Brother Ralph, sure. There's times, I know, it's shocking. There's times when I do wrong, there's times when I sin. Wouldn't it be a shame for Jesus Christ to come back and find us in the flesh? What if He came back and when He found you, it's when you was all gnarled up and angry and bitter about something? What if when He came back, when He found you, you, you had lust in your heart or lies that you'd told or hatred in your life? And some of you are going to say, well, preacher, it don't matter. He sees it now, and he does see it now. But the fact is, is that what you want to be the last thing that you ever did in your life? It ought to change. We ought to live holy and separated. I still believe in separation and holiness. I still believe we ought to live right, look right, and act right. I still believe we ought to be different from the world. And let me go a step further and say, I believe Jesus Christ believes we ought to live that way too. Peter was the very one that God used to pin down and be holy. For I am holy. And there's still a call to holiness for the Christian. 
we see that we ought to be consecrated. I want you to read a little further and look down at verse 14. We have the same thought uh, conveyed to us again. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 14, if you have a Schofield Bible, you'll have to turn the page. Amen. But it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. If Jesus Christ took inventory of your life tonight, would you, ha- would you be able to say you was blameless? Now, I understand that there is a theological import to this. I understand uh, that you and I, were blameless in Him and we're justified and sanctified in Him. Uh, but if Peter is telling us to take care that we live this way, then obviously the blamelessness that Peter's talking about is not the positional blamelessness that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. Obviously, he's talking about something practical that you and I can do. And I would say this. I'm not saying there haven't been times in my life when I've done wrong and when I've sinned. And there's not a day goes by that I don't mess up and fail God in some way. But I do believe we have the capacity to live in such a way that no one could look at our life and find anything major. I believe that's what Peter's talking about. To be found in him, of him, in peace, without spot. And blameless. We ought to be consecrated. But I want you to notice what it says uh, down in verse number 12. The Bible says uh, to us, "...looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat." I, you know, I've joked before that I, I, mean, I believe in this global warming too. I just believe it's going to happen a lot quicker and a lot hotter than what they think. Amen? I don't believe it's going to be caused from you running your air conditioner or driving an SUV, but I do believe there's coming a day when the Lord shall destroy this earth with fire. The Bible says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I believe we ought to be not only consecrated, but I believe we ought to be confident. Now, we live in a day when confidence is something that is spoken of in a negative connotation. And I'm not talking about being pompous or arrogant, but I'm talking about being confident in in the truths of the Word of God. We live in a day where scoffers abound. The Bible told us that this day would come in verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And this is speaking about uh, any number of groups of people. But, uh, you know, I believe it's speaking about those that simply deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They deny that He is really uh, God incarnate, and they deny that He is returning. And we live in a day of scoffers. And let me say that the sad fact about it is even a lot of Christians have gotten to the place where they don't even believe this Bible that sits in front of us. There's a lot of Christians today that don't really believe we can know what God's Word is. They, believe, they might believe we know what His Word is, but not what His words are. And there's a difference, and that's important. But I believe we can know what the Word of God is and what the words of God are. I believe that according to the Word of God, we can know some things about what's going to take place in this world. And Peter's saying, look, if you're looking for the Lord to come back, then you ought to live with that confidence that He is coming back. We all get discouraged sometimes and... And uh, down, you know, down, is it down in the mouth? Is that right? I don't know what that means. I hope it don't mean anything bad because I just said it. But we all get discouraged sometimes. We all get frustrated. It's easy to look at this lost and dying world and look at the turmoil and the tragedy. Look at the heartache and look at all the uh, hatred in this world and get discouraged. But can I tell you that this world is not an eternal thing. There's coming a day when it's going to be renovated or destroyed by fire. The Bible teaches that this day will come, and we ought to live with confidence about that. We ought not let it discourage us and get us down. We ought to, listen, we have something to shout about tonight. We have something to be excited about tonight. 
We, we have something. We ought not walk around all the time with our head uh, hanging all the way down to the ground and our forehead dragging the gravel. We ought to live with some joy in our hearts knowing that Jesus is coming back soon. I believe we ought to be uh, confident. But notice what it says in verse number 15. The Bible says, "...and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation." I believe we ought to be compassionate. Compassionate. You know what it means when it says, I'm done with that thing. You know, when I think about this idea in verse number 15, you know what it means when it says, account the long suffering of our Lord's salvation? It's saying this, the Lord's tarried so that more might be saved. Now what the Bible's teaching, the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, Peter says, listen, if Christ hasn't returned yet, there's still time for people to call on that name. If we really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, then we really believe that all of our loved ones are just a moment away from being forever damned. That ought to affect us, man. That ought to change us. I think sometimes we think we have all this time in the world. We're all guilty of that. Think we have all this time in the world. We think our loved ones have all this time. We say, well, they're young and they're going to live unless something tragic happens. And uh, tragic things don't happen very often. So surely they're going to live. I'll have time. I'll have another Christmas to witness or another Thanksgiving to witness. Another family reunion to witness. I'll see them again. But there's coming a day when you won't see them again unless they turn around. Peter says, you ought to recognize that if God hasn't returned back, that's an opportunity for salvation. That's an opportunity for salvation to those that have never accepted Jesus Christ. In other words, we ought to live with the compassion to go and reach souls for Jesus Christ. We ought to live with the attitude that, hey, uh, I may not have much time, but I've got the moment now, and I need to be telling people that Jesus Christ loved them and died for their sins. I believe we ought to live with compassion, but notice what it says in verse number 17. The Bible says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, Beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. We ought to be cautious. We ought to be cautious in the way that we live. I personally believe that Peter is talking about doctrinal error when he says this. You might believe he's talking about uh, you know personal error or uh, uh, error as far as your walk with the Lord. And if you want to believe that, I believe that's true, and I believe that's appropriate as well. But I believe the real application of what Peter is speaking about because he's just been talking uh, about Paul and about the doctrine that the Lord gives through Paul and how it's difficult to be understood. And he speaks about some uh, rejecting it to their own destruction. So he's been talking about doctrine when he says this. Not only when he's saying to be doctrinally cautious, he's saying you ought to be careful what you allow in your life. Right. Yes. Be careful what you allow. The church ought to be careful about what kind of doctrine that it allows to be in the house of God. Yeah. Ought to be careful about that. Yeah. You got a family, you got children. You ought to be careful about what doctrine is taught to. This doctrine is important. Amen. The Bible says that all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. Yeah. Means every page of this Bible is doctrine. We can't live without doctrine. It's all doctrine. It's all. John 3.16 is doctrine. The gospel is doctrine. Doctrine means teaching, and it's all teaching. Yeah. We ought to be careful about what kind of doctrine we allow in the lives of those that are around us. We ought to know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen. And the answer ought not just be because the preacher believes it. Amen. Amen. But I have chapter and verse for it. 
I'm not interested in, in uh, listen, I mean, I think we ought to be sheep, but not sheeple. Amen? I, 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 I understand that the Bible likens the Lord's flock to sheep, but that doesn't mean we ought to be mindless. We ought to know what the Bible teaches, and we ought to be cautious with what we allow. Listen, if the church is ever going to be what it ought to be, it ought to start right now because Jesus is coming back soon. Yes, he is. Amen. We're ever going to live right and be right and act right and do right. We're going to serve God. <laughs> we're going to do anything worth doing. We better do it now because yeah. Jesus could come back at any moment. Yeah. Now's not the time. So it's interesting. Uh, a lot of times when you get late in the game, now sometimes if the uh, score is is broad enough, sometimes if there uh, is enough of a span between the score of the two teams, they'll start putting in the uh, light hitters or the light dribblers or the light throwers or the light whatever they are for the route. Uh, but typically, if a, if a game is close, when you get down after the buzzer, they want their best people in. Now, a lot of times those last moments in a battle are the most crucial. You understand that when Jesus uh, could come back at any moment, we ought to understand how important these days that we're living in are. We ought to understand how vital it is that we be doctrinally correct and be uh, divinely compassionate and be completely consecrated to Jesus Christ. It's important that we live with caution. We live the day where anything goes in those churches. No matter what it looks like, what it sounds like, uh, it doesn't matter what they, what they believe, it doesn't matter what they teach, if they're willing to come in and smile and tell you they love Jesus, that ought to be sufficient. But I'm here to tell you right now that the Lord has standards for us. Yeah, yeah. has standards. <clears throat> and we may abide that doctrine, but God won't abide that doctrine. When you allow heresy to get into a church, that's the surest and quickest yeah. way for the Lord's presence to depart from it. Okay. We ought to be cautious. I want to give you one more thing. Notice what it says down in verse number 18. It says, but growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let me tell you the opposites of how the world and how Christ thinks. You see, you and I, when we feel like something's about over, we have a tendency to want to slack off and quit. But what does Peter say? Peter says Jesus could come back at any moment. And therefore, you ought to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I believe what he's saying is y'all be consistent. Y'all be constant. I was reading just again what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. I believe it's chapter 12 and verse 1 where it says that the godly man ceases. That the faithful man can't be found. Let me tell you, friend, we all we all start getting serious about being faithful to Jesus Christ. We ain't going to have much more time. We're ever going to do it. We ought to do it right now. We all might look at this as an opportunity to live in a cavalier way that Jesus could come back at any moment. But we ought to say, I want him to find me serving you. I want him to find me working. Wouldn't it be sad? Listen, I understand there's there's times I'm not I'm not beating up on the Sunday night crowd. You couldn't you could have not come if you decided to not come and you're here because you love the Lord, so trust me, I'm not beating up on you. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, and a lot of times people that could be in the house of God aren't, a lot of times there's people that really shouldn't be that are because they're just making themselves go. And I'm aware of that. But wouldn't it be sad if when Jesus came back, it was the day that you laid out in church for no good reason? Wouldn't it be sad if the day that Jesus came back, uh, one of those days when God had given someone in your pathway to witness to, just too wrapped up in your own issues, and so you decided to let him die and go to hell? Wouldn't it be sad if the day that Jesus came back oh, was the day that you skipped your devotional time with the Lord? Well, I'll get serious about this thing. It happened any moment. 
We can play games if we want to, but we're going to regret it. Yeah. I know that's not pretty preaching. I know that's not theologically dazzling. But that's as plain as I know how to make it. If we don't start living for Jesus Christ, we're going to live to regret it. Yeah. We don't get serious about this thing, we're going to regret it. <coughs> we don't start living for Him, there's going to come a day when we're going to weep because we can. Yeah. We all look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. Man, I do. I look forward to that soon coming. But I believe that that is a bittersweet truth as well. You know what Paul said about the coming of the Lord? He said, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade him. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, in the Old Testament, I believe it's the uh, book of Amos that says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. And the truth is, there is a joy that will come when Jesus Christ does return. But we're also going to have a lot to answer for. Today. We're going to have a lot to answer for. There's going to be a lot of blood on most of our hands. There's going to be a lot of excuses on most of our lips and it won't avail us. We need to start getting serious about this thing because it could end at any moment. These young people that we have here, Jesus Christ might come back before they have the opportunity to even grow to be an adult. Some of this older crowd that we have here, Jesus might come back before you come to Him. Those of us that are middle-aged, Jesus might come back before we get to the place where we want to start serving God. So we better get serious about it.